hope from God's word. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him, and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. All right, we have some uh, ushers uh, coming around right now with a postcard of this work on uh, one side and on the other. Uh, it's just a, uh, some text about the artist and the work itself. I'd love to give you just a, a few minutes with this uh, postcard just to sort of ponder it maybe up a little closer than you can from here. And... Um, We'll come uh, back together in just about, I don't know, 90 minutes, 90 seconds or so, okay? Okay, I hope you'll take this postcard and that you will um, put it somewhere prominent in your home, whether that's, uh, you know, uh, magnetized to your fridge or if you still do that, or uh, it's taped to your bathroom mirror, something where some of the hopefulness of this, and we'll talk about this at some length uh, throughout the sermon today, um, somewhere where this can keep on prompting you to think about um, both what is to come and how we might live right now. So, um, we've been holding on to this painting for a while. Uh, Carol uh, had uh, Carol Ouse, the painting, had it arranged to be here, I think it was in, was it September? September? Uh, we've uh, had it in our possession for quite a while. And um, because of the themes that are in it, because of what it seems to say in a certain way, it just felt like it was right to hold it on to this last Sunday of this series we've been working through called Long Story Short, where we've sought to tell the story of the whole Bible in 11 weeks. And today is the sort of the final sort of epilogue kind of a chapter called Consummation. And both what I want to share today and this painting, they sort of sync up. So I wanted it uh, to be able to hold on to it for this moment. To see how they sync up will be sort of the bulk of what we talk about. So for now, why don't we pray and uh, we'll, get into, uh, we'll get into this uh, series, uh, this final chunk of this series together. Let's pray. Gracious God, thanks for bringing all of us here today. No doubt there are some who are here um, from out of town, traveling because of um, Thanksgiving travels and being with family. Some of us leave, maybe even today or tomorrow, to go be with others elsewhere. 
But you have seen fit to gather all of us here together right now to lift your name up in praise and to pray to you and to seek you out and also, Lord, to receive something from you. So we pray that you would speak to us today through your word. What we know is that your scriptures can uh, set fire to our imaginations, can purify our way of living, can beautify our relationships, can construct a way forward us in the midst of confusion, can reconcile relationships that are deeply damaged. Somehow, Lord, you do those things, not through the tone of my voice, but by the work of the Holy Spirit. And we pray you would do it again. Will the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. Okay, so if uh, you've sort of been sort of spotty attendance uh, throughout this uh, series, or this is, as I said, and sort of surmised, for some of us this will be our, our first time, um, you, this is great. You get to hear the whole series in like one chunk. I don't advertise that at the beginning because that kind of really dampens attendance in general. But you've come at just the right time to get all the way caught up. And if you've been here for some good chunks of this, by now, probably what I'm about to do, you could probably do some version at your own coffee table. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the last 10 weeks as quickly as I can. What is this story of the Bible from the, the first page to the last page? And what we decided very early on is we we're going to seek to summarize as far as we were every week to plant little deposits of memory in all of us and to catch anyone up who just happened to be here for the first time. So um, one of those things is true for you. Either you need a good refresher or you haven't heard it yet. So here it is, the greatest story ever told, or flip that, the toldest story ever great. In the beginning, God spoke into existence all that there ever has been. The things that are under our feet, the things that are above us, the things that are in our heart. And he lovingly crafted them together so that they might actually, in this beautiful intertwined way, actually work together in relationship with him to be sort of in concert and glorify what's best and most beautiful about God's character. Humans were made to have this really glory and whole, glory, glory, glorious and beautiful relationship with one another. We were created that the, the earth itself might actually have some sort of a relationship with this, even though there's, a, even as there's this whole like cycle of all sorts of water cycles and Krebs cycles and all these kinds of things, in the middle of all that, we've been inserted to, to do something with this, to develop a relationship with the stuff of the earth, to make and build and create. In the middle of all that, we're designed to do that, to maintain and be in and keep relationship with God himself. And then right, turn the page over the next place, what we see is, is that creation has now been catastrophically ruined. This story's been less than two pages in, and, and already what we see is humanity in our own self-perceived wisdom we find ourselves tearing ourselves apart from what God has said is best for us. And as a result, catastrophically, all of this that had been knit together carefully and beautifully is now actually shredded apart. Our relationships with one another now are, are tinged with confusion, violence, simultaneously wishing good for some people and harm on another. There's deep 
longing and pain to be connected to another human being, and, and also there always seems to be something in the middle of it. And so it is actually with our work and the stuff of the earth, even while we still continue to build and create and do things with our hands, we, we also discover that we're doing great damage, not only to the planet, but work is really hard. This thing that was supposed to be this beautiful reflection of God's creativity is, is now fraught with problems and waste and ruin. In the same way, we were supposed to have this deep, abiding relationship with God himself. And instead, what we get is this fractured sense of a spiritual reality that oftentimes we don't feel we can know or touch. Actually, what happened in this moment when we disobeyed God in this catastrophic decision, actually what the Bible teaches is there's now a, a great deep division between us and God himself. And, and now actually what ends up happening is, is while we still have a life of flesh, spiritually we know we are certain to destruction. It all seems to be tumbling away from us. And God in his wisdom could have decided to decide to just start over. And get rid of all of it. But instead, what he does is he sets his covenant with just one family and says, through you, you are going to be the people of the promise. I'm going to put this all to rights through you, Abraham. I'm going to bless you that you might be a blessing to all nations and all peoples. The, all of it's going to, there's going to be more people that are um, sort of part of this story than there are stars in the sky. And Abraham, over time, became um, a, a clan, and then a tribe, and then a group, and then they found themselves as, a, as an ethnic group of people enslaved in Egypt. And God heard their wailing, and he saw their pain. He said, now's the time for this story to turn the page. And he set them free and developed them into a community, first in the desert, and then as they crossed over into the desert, in, into the promised land, where they were supposed to be God's holy people, showing a, another way to all nations. And as they invaded into that space to reclaim it as like, God's corner, there's a story of conquest. And it's a confusing story in a lot of ways because what we see is in the middle of them seeking to respond and honor what God has set out as a desire for them, what we see them doing is chasing after everything they see around them. In fact, they even say, God, you've been on great and all, but will you just give us a king so we can be like all the other people? And so God gives them a crown, gives them a king. And what we say when, they, when they've been given this king is, is now somehow in their imaginations, this idea that they were going to be a blessing to all peoples now becomes really just about being a blessing that they might have their own kingdom. And we see this cycle over hundreds of pages that they um, have this kingdom and then lose this kingdom and then they're redeemed and then they get kind of cocky and then they lose the kingdom and then they're redeemed and eventually they're scattered as a symbol of how much they've lost in their understanding of God's character and purpose. Throughout um, Asia and Europe, and all sorts of corners of the globe, and the promise remains. God says, you're still my people of the promise. I'm going to scatter you, and you're this is still going to happen through you. And then, 400 years of silence. The Old Testament has come to a close. The promise stands, but there's no clear movement in how it's going to get resolved. And then at just the right time, in a way and in a place that was um, God's own choosing, God the Son came in the flesh as our Christ, as our Messiah. And he came saying, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Believe the good news. And the rest of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell this story of, of what this kingdom of God is actually, actually looks like. And it is a story of God sort of breaking into a world of violence and confusion, and, and he fills it with the possibility and hope of healing. 
the invitation of inclusion for those who have been cast far off from God's plan. He both preaches and he heals as he goes, and he, he confronts with clarity and gentleness all the powers who are anti-God, who are anti-Christ. And the gentleness of his vision is so challenging to the powers that be that they put him on a cross to die. And it looks like it looks like the Christ has lost. But the Bible tells this story in such a way that what we realize is every single kind of human being is involved in it in some way or another. Jews and Gentiles are are part of the story. Religious authorities and state authorities are part of the story. We are all now in some way part of the story of the cross, which sounds awful until you realize that's the way you might have life. See, when Jesus hung on the cross as the one who, the only one who lived a whole and complete life in God Himself, when He died for the sins of others, guiltless, He was able to take the sins of the world. The weight and the burden, the catastrophic consequences of being separated from God have now been laid upon the Christ. You no longer need to fear death. But because that's only part of the story, three days later, it's not just that Christ died, He rose again. And He rose that He might show us that we also in Him might have new life, real new life, both now and in the age to come. And as he's risen, and as he's alive, now we're up to last week as we talked about the church, his disciples said, Lord, amazing! I can't believe you're back! Is now the time when you're going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel on earth? Have they been paying attention? And he says to them, the days and the times are not up to you. That's not up to you. I'm not going to tell you. By the way, thanks for the answer. Whoever said no, I love that. Thank you for listening. Because I'm not going to tell you, but here's what I am going to do. I'm going to build a community, a you all kind of a group. And I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit that you might be my witnesses here and in Samaria and throughout the world. And we ended in this place last week to say this is, this is now the place that we find ourselves. Can we see this? What we said is well, there was this present age of catastrophe, and then Christ came, promising he would come again as king in his glory. And we live in the in-between time, where we straddle both the promise and hope of what it means to be forgiven in Christ. And simultaneously, we live with all of the disturbing depravity of what it still means to be people that are part of the catastrophe age. We're in both of those moments. And that, interestingly, friends, is where the New New Testament ends. That gets us up to where we are now in human history. This is the end of the story, except, uh uh uh-huh-uh, it's not really the end of the story. What we have is still this one more thing the Bible wants to make sure that we know, even as we straddle this uncertain, confusing, overlapped age. God's going to put it back together. There's going to be a consuming um, moment when all of this will be put back to right, finally and fully. Over the last several uh, months of this series, we've been creating these uh, bookmarks to give uh, to you to continue some of this study, and you'll you'll see some of those passages that sort of touch on this moment. Because God seems to have been saying all along, as we wait, there's something that's greater still yet to come. 
And those bookmarks, uh, they have some of those passages, but after I had those produced, there were some other places I realized I, I wanted to include. So here's sort of a, an additional list if you're sort of a note-taker. Here's one of them is Isaiah 65. And what we see in Isaiah 65, way before even Christ arrives in the flesh, what we see is this promise is that God is going to put together a, a new heaven and a new earth where there's going to be surprising bedfellows, like the wolf and the lamb are going to hang out and swap phone numbers. They're going to be friends somehow. Somehow the message is, even the things that seem to be the most contra nature are going to be put back together in this way where there's deep reconciliation and healing. Joel chapter 2 makes this promise that God's Spirit is going to pour out on all people. Not just those who have received this in prophecy from Joel, but all people. Not just Jews, but all people. Yep, Jews are the people of the promise, and they're included. But guess what? Guess who else is included? People from Norway. And Scotland. And China. And Kenya. And India every corner of the globe. God says, this story is going to have a a radical inclusion where I am going to claim all people as mine. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 takes that huge, huge story and, and really backs it up into specific people. Paul, in the New Testament, as he's writing to these tiny little churches, he he wants to make sure that we all know that we have died with Christ, which means we can also have a life like Christ. If we've had a death like him, we also can have a life and a, a new body like him. Turns out, the vision's way better than a pair of wings on a cloud with a harp. Something else is going to happen. Something else is going to come. In 1 Corinthians 15, we see probably the longest continuous exploration of what it means for us to receive new resurrection bodies. As we're included, as the Spirit falls on all people, we each particularly are going to receive something new. He says we're going to be sort of like, it's like we've been sown as a seed. It, It gets sown as this imperishable thing and it breaks down, but then it rises to life and it's imperishable. Never to die or break. Romans 8 then sort of zooms back out and says it's not just about these stories. It's not actually just even about humans. But what we learn in Romans 8 actually is all of creation has been groaning under the weight of this catastrophe. And you know that. Just look around. Things seem to be falling apart. And what Romans 8 seems to indicate is not just humanity, but all of creation is going to know what it's like to be liberated from that catastrophe. God in His grace and mercy is somehow going to put it all back together. God's at work in this story of, uh, that we see also in Isaiah 25 that um, has been important to me as I've been thinking about this installation of this new work. And what we see, again, is this this really sort of radical inclusion of God's people. What we see is this astonishing provision and welcome and forgiveness. What it is, friends, is the world's best Thanksgiving meal ever times a billion. That's what Isaiah is trying to capture here in Isaiah 25. God is at work seeking to do something somewhere in an age we can't quite get there on our own yet that is going to just crush us with how beautiful it is. It's going to be so exquisite. And then the last one I want to talk about today, we'll talk about this for a little bit, is Revelation. All of it. By the way, if you're taking notes, there is no S. Okay? There's no uh, revelation. 
And Revelation is this book that people talk about as apocalyptic literature. It's kind of its own genre. And because we are now standing in this age that we're waiting for Christ to come back as king, this is one of the primary places where we go to seek to understand what that is, and it is utterly confusing. People have been reading this book for for centuries, and they've been reading it with great confusion. In fact, oftentimes, I think people decide to not read it because they're pretty sure they can't understand it, and they don't want to try. So I want to talk about it today. We're going to talk about, um, last week I promised a series on the Holy Spirit, and that's coming next fall. Uh, Right now I'm going to promise you a short, focused series on Revelation, and that's coming late this spring. But what we get in it is this incredible picture of God's victory. It's hard to understand. So as we come to all of these passages of this consuming moment of history, when all of history is sort of like this consummation of God's plan at this finally sort of graduating moment into the next stage, let's say, I'm going I'm to encourage us to sort of approach these parts of Scripture with sort of in three ways. Okay? Three quick things I want to point out to you as we think about all of these passages, but especially Revelation. The first thing I want to say is, I want you to anticipate with humility. Anticipate with humility as you come to these passages. You see, oftentimes we we want to come to this literature, we want to come to this part of God's story, wherever we might find it, whether it's in Isaiah or it's in Revelation. And we end up wanting to sort of look for, like, who's the beast? Who's the, who are the horsemen? Who, who, where's the 666 number? We end up trying to treat this literature like it's a headline. Like it's news for us to uncover. And when we do that, friends, this happens. Next slide. There we go. And Judgment Day is coming. May 21st, 2011. Did you have these around uh, Colorado around this time, the months leading up to this? There were a ton of these in Oakland and Berkeley and the, the Bay Area. And we noticed these particularly because May 21st, 2011 is our oldest daughter's 10th birthday. We just said, the whole world's going to celebrate your birthday, Hope. It's going to be great. See, the problem is, is someone peered carefully into the Scriptures, lovingly, longingly seeking to know God's heart, and they turned what was a metaphor, what was an image, what was a picture of God's sovereignty, and they turned it into a headline. It turned into a prediction, forgetting that God said, I'm not going to tell you the day or the time or the way I'm returning. As we come to these passages, friends, anticipate with some humility. Because here's the thing that I know. As, I, as, I've been, as we've been reading the Bible so far, every, almost, almost at every stage, one of the things that we've pointed out is, and the people got it wrong right? At almost every stage, what we said is, and, you know, Israelites, they turned this promise into their own kingdom. So as we read these promises, it's possible we might be getting them wrong, even as we understand them, sort of. You see, as as people have read the Bible so far, and they've read these passages, here's what I'm going to point out to you. They've always interpreted them in too small of a way. What God is going to do, what God is going to accomplish, always turns out in the end to be bigger than anything that we could have hoped for or imagined. So as we come to these passages and we we think we understand them, we should treat them with both uh, joy and humility. We might be getting parts of it wrong. 
So anticipate with some humility. But, but secondly, I want you to, that, it's not that we can't know nothing. And I also want you to anticipate with confidence. Anticipate with confidence. I want to tell you something. God is on the move. Things are happening. Things are not only as they seem. You can be confident that God is at work seeking to reconcile and do and create something like what we see in God's Word. Let's just wait. Be confident. There's a writer who says that um, this moment between humility and confidence is a little bit like being in a birthing room. When you tell the story of someone's birth, if you've ever been there in the room when a child or infant's been born, yeah, there's pain in the in-between time, and, uh, apparently, and it's not comfortable. And there's usually a longer wait than we would like. But you know what? Almost all of those stories, they tell that story of that pain and that frustration relatively quickly to get to what? The baby. As we wait, let's not get so focused on the, the pain of it, the frustration of it, that we forget the point of being birthed into something new. And God is doing something new in exactly the categories where the, catastro- the catastrophe took place. Let's just read these uh, quick little promises. One's Revelation chapter 21. This is John, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John. And he's sharing with us yet more images of this revelation. And he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there were no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. God is at work. There's something he's doing. And what we see here, right in the middle of this, is is God's at work exactly in the places where the catastrophe hit the worst. Did, Did you see it? Here it is, right here in this passage of Revelation. God says, I'm bringing a new creation. I'm somehow going to take this old thing, and somehow I'm going to make it continuous with this brand new thing. In the middle of that new creation, what I'm going to bring is a new city. And it's going to be magnificent. It's it's going to be the the bringing together of of all people and all trades and all possibilities and and, um, all art. In this way, there's going to be this exquisite sort of overlap of things that are reflective of God's beauty. And this city... It's going to be massive. It's going to be 1,200 miles wide by 1,200 miles long by 1,200 miles high. Now, is that a headline? Or is that an image of God saying that I'm going to do something, I'm going to bring to completion something so magnificent and huge, you can't actually possibly imagine it? God is on the move. And he says, not only that, but those dimensions make a perfect cube, which is, was also actually my holy of holies. So not only a new creation, new city, you're going to have a new kind of temple and presence. I'm going to be with you in this magnificent, expanded, blown-up way you can't even have a picture for. But I can't tell you what. There won't be any pain or tears there will just be connection to God. 
See, God's taking the, the things that, that are at the most wounded, and he's promising he's on the move. We see another version of it here in Revelation 22, the very last chapter of the Bible. Then the angel, same revelation, showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, right down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. You see, even the stuff of the earth is going to respond to God in a new way. New harvest? Every month? New, fresh, clear water? Water is a big deal when you can't get it. We're going to be connected to Him in a way where all of a sudden now we, we gladly and beautifully find a way to serve Him as we were intended to. So as we come to this, as we come to this story and we read these passages first, anticipate with humility, but then can also anticipate with great confidence. This is not a myth. God is on the move. Something's happening here. And it's bigger than anything we can actually imagine on our own categories or with our own minds. And lastly, friends, I think we can anticipate with lavish joy. We can anticipate with lavish joy. See, these things, it's pretty clear, these things in the, in the Bible, they're, they're supposed to give us some confidence, but not just in the future, but for how we live right now. See, in light of the struggles and the trouble and the weight that you are facing, and it's real, it is no doubt that it's real, but here's what I want you to know. You already know the end of the story. You already know how it turns out. You already know that whatever you're going through now will also be redeemed and reconciled. You might remember, I told you a couple years ago that um, we had a flood in our bathroom. It was bad. And like went straight down into two and a half rooms in our basement. It was not fun. And it was, oh man, it was, it was hard. Did you know we had to just live in our house with three bathrooms? And did you know that one of those bathrooms was 27 feet away, not 12? It was, I, I suffered. There was dust. And can I tell you, in the middle of that, oftentimes we focused on the birth pains. A lot of times in the middle of that, we really just focused on the things that were hard and frustrating, didn't quite take the time that we thought. What had happened there? I'd actually missed the end line. It's now infinitely better. But what if, what if I had lived in a certain way with my children and guests who had to live with the dust and all that in a way that said, and this is going to become, and that's okay because pretty soon we're going to be able to, as Paul is writing to all of these churches in the New Testament, as they live in the same kind of age we are in, he says this kinds of thing over and over and over again, like he says in Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts and minds on things above where Christ is. What he's saying is, is our life can now, we don't have to wait. Our life can right now be radically changed because of the confident work we know about in Jesus Christ. We don't have to wait. We can live with that kind of joy that kind of confidence, that kind of readiness, that kind of lavish generosity right now. 
Um, because of the weather and because of some other things, um, I've stopped driving my scooter right now. And, and as a result, what I've been doing is I've been riding the bus. And I've been sort of going in line, and I've been going to the bus, like all people go to the bus. I hunker down, wait at the bus stop, or I go to the transit station, and I wait there, and I put on my headphones as if to say, do not talk to me. Make my safe little bubble. I make sure no one actually has an interaction with me. If I accidentally make eye contact with someone, I'm like, probably you have some version of that too. We're waiting to go somewhere. And as we wait to go to that place, we, we live in this way where we're very self-protective. We're not interactive. We're not actually showing anything of the joy that we have within us because of Jesus Christ. Now, it's one thing to do in a bus stop, but I actually think a lot of us do that in our actual lives. Even as we wait, we create a bubble. We don't interact. We just wait for our turn. But in fact, what the New Testament tries to describe for us, what the Scriptures try to describe, is, is less like a bus stop and more like what happens the couple of hours before Thanksgiving dinner. And what happens at Thanksgiving dinner? You, you invite all sorts of people into your home. You're like, so excited to see them. So glad you're here. Yeah, you should eat all of those potato chips. We have more somewhere. Even your crazy Uncle Fred gets a gracious, warm welcome into your home on Thanksgiving. And what the Bible seems to describe in light of what we know about the end is that our living right now should be more like the hours before Thanksgiving and less like waiting at the bus stop. That we should find some way to, to graciously mirror and echo all that is best about the hope that is coming, pulling it into the now. That's what I love about this painting, being now, at least for the foreseeable future, right here in our community. Because it paints both the picture of, of what is yet to come. This is like an imaginary place, kind of touching on places we think of as real. It touches on this, this yearning we have, this appetite we have for, for something that's out in the future. And also it expresses exactly who we want to be right now. Graciously, lavishly, joyfully connecting to those who are around us. So as we anticipate with humility and confidence and with lavish joy... Are you missing the feast? I see people here who are students, educators, engineers, folks who are retired, accountants, salesmen. I see children and parents and grandparents, men and women, and you're invited to merge your story with this story. You're invited to let what's true about you already, theologically, to become true of the way you live out loud. So, where are you living a bus stop life and not a Thanksgiving life? There's too many people for me here to say, and here's the one thing I know you all should do. But you know who does know and can speak to you? God himself and the power of the Holy Spirit. Where do you need to get off the bus and host a meal. What needs to change about your day-to-day -day living? What needs to be transformed that you might live in confidence and with lavish joy?
Let's spend a few minutes praying together, shall we? And then I'll invite Carol up to hear a little bit more about this painting. Father, thank you for these gifts you've given to us in your word. That remind us that what we're seeing and experiencing now is not the only thing that's happening. That in confidence we can trust your character and goodness to knit all this back together finally and fully. And Lord, in the middle of that, would you give us the courage to live with lavish joy? I know the ways that I'm small-minded, protective, cautious. Lord, when it comes to my living out loud and the people you have me intersect with, would you teach me to welcome them like I would at a Thanksgiving feast? Would you show us and teach us all by the power of your Spirit how to live with eagerness and lavish joy? And all God's people said, Amen. Friends, let me uh, introduce to you uh, artist Carol Oust. So uh, Carol and her husband Ed are here over the weekend, and um, I've had a chance to get to know Carol over many years. Um, she works, they live and work in uh, Oakland, and their children were part of the church with them, and in my middle school and high school ministry when I was a youth pastor in Berkeley. So I've um, had a chance to observe and learn from uh, this couple for a long time. They're deeply faithful, wonderful parents, um, creative in the way they seek to live their life and express it, and really lavishly joyful. And uh, I'm so glad to, that you all get to meet her ever so briefly, and um, we get to thank her for this uh, work of art that's now part of our story and part of our community. And um, right at the end of this, she's going to be standing right over there, I think, so that people can sort of look at the art and speak to her if they'd like. Um, but uh, in the meantime, just so we all have a chance to hear just from her uh, just a, a little bit, maybe could you share with us some of what led you to create this art or even art like it? Well, first of all, I want to say welcome and hello and greetings from your brothers and sisters in Berkeley and Oakland. And it's wonderful to be here in the fresh air. I can't tell you how nice it is to be able to breathe. <laughs> and um, uh, I've always been an artist. I've always felt like that's kind of who God created me to be. It's just part of my identity. And I feel like some of my most sacred holy connection points with Christ are when I have a brush in my hand. But when I first started volunteering at church, I tended to more often end up in the kitchen, scrubbing the pots and serving up the church dinners. And one night, I remember praying, God, I would just really love it if I could do a painting in a church. And I think at that very moment, there were some angels laughing. So for the last 30 years, I've been doing paintings for churches, as well as paintings just for my work. But, and it started at my own congregation, and then other congregations have graciously invited me to communicate through paint. Yeah. Uh, and this is your first uh, church-hung art in Colorado. Yes. You crushed it. <laughs> well done. <laughs> So I'm going to go off script just a little bit this last time. Okay. And uh, one of the things I know is important to you, I'd love to just share a little bit about your own habit of uh, table fellowship and what happens in your own home before we get to the sure. next part. Go ahead. Sure. Well, um, the housing market in Oakland is insane. And artists do not buy houses. And God gave us a house 
a lot of people in our church came together and worked a miracle, and we got a house. And it was about a nine-month pregnancy to get it. And when we finally got the keys, I just wa- we walked in and said, God, this is your house. So can I it's stop no- there? I didn't know that. Yeah. But you didn't focus on the pangs so much as the birth of having a house. The pangs were pretty intense. Yeah. <laughs> but you've been in it now for years. Yeah, but, yeah. and there was, Ed was out of work for like six years during yeah. that time. So yeah. an artist to pay the mortgage, it just doesn't happen. Angels were laughing. And so at that point we said, this is your house, do with it, you know, whatever you want to do with it. So we have a steady stream of lost young adults who come through unable to pay rent and they'll stay in the extra room. We have a wonderful sailor living with us now as well as our grown kids. And we also have an open table where one or two nights a week we unlock our door, which is pretty radical in Oakland, and anyone can come for dinner. And sometimes it's 10 people and sometimes it's 25. It's great. So. Love that. Well, as you get to know her art just a little bit, you will certainly uh, see those, some of those themes of what you've heard in uh, her other work as well. Uh, certainly in this one, um, we're going to be living with this for a long time. I'm really glad for that. But maybe you could draw our attention to one thing that you sort of like about it or you connect with it that we wouldn't know otherwise without you pointing it out. Sure. Well, in my paintings, in my art, I often have a theme of floating people. And when I submitted the first sketches for this one to Eric, I had no floaters in there. And it was like, and and Eric said, you know, we need some floating people. And it was like, I don't know, because in church, people like it more literal. And Eric was (laughs) insistent. And I love it because I am actually that lady in the red dress who's floating. I, I am a reluctant follower of Christ. And many, many times, he just has to carry me with his love and with his spirit into the fellowship. Yeah. So. Amen. Thank you for that. Yeah. All right, we're going to pray for uh, the, this work in our space and for her. And then as we sing our last song, we're going to take a once or final Thanksgiving um, uh, offering. And whatever it is we receive over uh, today and just for a couple more days online, is whatever we'll have to um, introduce yet another work of art um, sometime into our church in the years to come. So, but for now, let's pray, shall we? Father, you're so good and uh, beautiful and surprising, and look what it is you've allowed your people to learn how to do. And we pray, Lord, as we now have this uh, painting installed in our sanctuary, we pray, Lord, that um, it would draw people's hearts and imaginations into community with you. We pray, Lord, that in a way that can often happen through art and not through the preaching or the singing, that people would find themselves into knowing the welcome of God as they gaze upon this in our worship space. We pray, Lord, that it would speak and teach us something about what it is we long for and are eager to be true about the consummation of all human history. Lord, we also pray it will pull us into joyful courage right now. Would it do all of those things? Would it speak to those who are new to this place and uh, invite deeper faithfulness into those who have been